Hello and welcome to Lore Watch, a roundtable freeform discussion about the lore in the games of Blizzard Entertainment. Today, it's a different game, and I'm so excited about this. Um, I'm Ann Stickney, one of two lore-focused writers from Blizzard Watch, and I've got both. Well, I've got one of the regular co-hosts with me today, and that would be Matt Rossi. Say hi, Rossi. Hi, Rossi. <laughs> it's right. an old joke, but it's a good joke. Hey, just... you know, you might as well. It's a classic. We like classics here. The only um, thing left is releasing Kraken, so. Joe was unable to make it today due to a last minute thing, but that's okay because we're actually recording a day later than usual. So to fill in for Joe, and mostly because of what we're talking about today, we brought in Mitch. So Mitch, say hello. Hi, Rossi. No. Uh, hello. <laughs> you can't do it. You didn't. That's not what I was going for. But all right, then. Uh, so the reason we've got Mitch in here today, besides the fact that he's available, is also because he's very familiar with the subject that we're talking about. Um, and the reason that we're recording a day late is because yesterday, instead of recording Lore Watch, I was driving across uh, Utah to go to the Overwatch launch event thing where they were showing all of the cinematics and a nice panel on the big screen. And that was a blast. That was fantastic, actually. It was really cool seeing all of them, all of the cinematics on the big screen like that. So today, we're not talking about World of Warcraft at all. We're not talking about the movie. We're not talking about the game. No, we're going to talk about Overwatch because Overwatch just launched today. And I've been dying to talk about this. <laughs> I really have. Um, so I guess we could just kind of hop right in with it, huh? Yes. Okay. Sure. So, lore behind the game. Brief rundown of the lore behind the game. We're looking at a future Earth, and in this future Earth, we had this ideal world that was, like, full of peace, economic harmony, all this other stuff. And a lot of this was fostered by these virtual intelligences, artificial intelligences that were uh, created. They're called Omnics. They're robots. They're basically, they're robots. They're intelligent robots, but they call them Omnics in this particular version of Earth. At some point in that future, something went horribly wrong, as things are wont to do, and it created this, this event called the Omnic Crisis. And the Omnic Crisis was basically all of the Omnics turned on humanity and focused, instead of focusing on the good things that they had been focusing on, like monitoring the economy and, you know, fostering peace, all this other stuff, uh, they were dead set on wiping humanity out. Um, and in instead of, well, the way that the Omnics work, right, there's the Omnics and then there's these plants that basically produce Omnics. They're called Omniums. Mm -hmm. And those Omniums started cranking out war bots instead of more Omnics, which... It was a global thing. It was a worldwide thing. These Omniums were all over the planet, and all of a sudden, all of them were turning on humanity. So in order to come, like, to try and combat this threat, the United Nations got, got together, and they founded this secret special organization of the world's best and brightest, and they called it Overwatch. And that's where Overwatch came from. Overwatch managed to get together and take care of the Omnic crisis. The cool part about this, and this is one of those loose threads, and you'll find a lot of these. You'll find a lot of these in Overwatch. Um, it, it was stated very clearly that they, that they got rid of the source of the threat, but they didn't actually state what that was. So whatever it was that sparked the Omnic crisis to begin with, whatever it was that was the impetus for the Omniums going rogue, 
that hasn't been revealed yet. And we really, we still don't know what the heck that was. Um, but basically what happened was Overwatch saved the day and the public eye was just glowing with praise for the team. They could do no wrong. So they kind of changed the game plan a little bit. Obviously they didn't need to defeat the Omnic crisis anymore. What they did instead was they were trying to foster global peace and they were also kind of going into science and exploration research, that kind of thing to kind of get back to that point where it's like, okay, golden age of peace and harmony. And all of a sudden these rumors started flying about internal corruption and things going wrong. And that opinion of the public eye, which had been so high at that point, went downhill. It was like a downward spiral. Um, and eventually Overwatch was forcibly disbanded. There's more to the story than that, and we will get into that, but that's kind of the basics of it. So Overwatch itself takes place after this whole dissolution and the introduction of the Petrus Act. And the Petrus Act basically said any Overwatch agents doing anything is completely illegal and can be prosecuted, all this other stuff. Um, one of these guys, Winston, who is the giant talking gorilla. <laughs> the scientist. The scientist gorilla. He had had enough of looking at the world. Because the thing is, is once Overwatch was disbanded, the world kind of started falling into disarray again. And bad things are happening all over the place. And Winston was watching all of this and going, I, I, can't, I can't let the future turn into this thing. I want to make the future better. That's why we came together to begin with. That's why Overwatch came together to begin with. So he pushed a recall order that pulled back in all these agents. Now you may be wondering, because they have been going on for quite a while already. And you may there's, be wondering. There's a lot more too. Right. And there's, there's lots that I haven't even touched on. Right. But you oh, may yeah. be wondering if you picked up Overwatch today and you've been playing the game and you've been having fun swapping between heroes and going pew pew and, you know, shooting back and forth when a game's getting loot crates leveling up. Where's all this story? Where is it all at? It's certainly not in game. You don't see it reflected in, in, in combat or anything like that. And that's because Overwatch's approach to story is a very different kind of thing. They've created this universe, and it's this universe with this thriving story. Obviously, I've only like grazed on maybe like the tiniest fraction of it here, right? Yep. Mm -hmm. And the game is set in that same universe, but it the game doesn't the, the story and the game are kind of like two separate things that sort of work hand in hand. Heroes that are established in the game are then given stories that work in the overall narrative, but that narrative isn't necessarily something that's, that, that the game hinges on. They don't hinge on each other. They just work together really organically, which means that the people that are working on the story and the franchise stuff, they are totally free to do these cinematics, to do comics, to do whatever the heck they want to do. And if the game chooses to reflect that, great. If the game doesn't choose to reflect that, doesn't matter. Cause it's still the same game. It's still the same game and it's still lots of fun to play. So when I'm talking about all this story stuff and I have, I think I've spent like the last, what, couple of months or so. Mm -hmm. Doing yeah. Overwatch, doing Know Your Lords that are themed on Overwatch and the heroes and the history behind those heroes. And the most frequent question that I get is, where is all this information coming from? Where are you getting all of this? And the answer is in the game. If you go to the Overwatch website, each hero has their own little profile with their own little backstory. And if you look at all the backstories and kind of start piecing it together with what you see in game and with the cinematics and with the other material, the promotional material that was released, you start to see this story and it's 
it's a new story. It's a story we haven't seen before. And it's a really cool story. And um, it's kind of been an interesting exercise because as I've been writing these Know Your Lores, more new material has been coming out. And points that were kind of blurry when I started writing these are now incredibly clear. So it's it's kind of cool because it's it's like uh, I'm not I'm not writing like established history. I'm just sort of dictating things as they're coming out and putting it all together for people, which is kind of fun. So yeah, Overwatch. Um, I'm just going to leave it open right there. Let's talk about Overwatch. Rossi, go. Uh, well, one of the things I'm liking about this game, since Anne mentioned it, is that essentially it's kind of interesting. You have kind of the fallen group here. Like Overwatch is kind of a combination of S.H.I.E.L.D., the Avengers, and G.I. Joe. If you remember the G.I. Joe cartoon from the uh, the 90s. I mean, not the 90s. Yeah, it was the 90s. 80s and 90s. Late really. 80s, early 90s, yeah. It's got elements of all of them. Uh, it definitely feels superhero-y. I mean, you've got Tracer, who is essentially a superhero. Um, you've got Widowmaker, who is a science experiment gone wrong. You've got Reaper, who's a bit, essentially walking rot. He's like walking decay. <laughs> um, you've got uh, Soldier 76. Uh, I can't pronounce the colon. I'm sorry. Um, who is essentially a, an old? He's like a weird mishmash of Cable and the Winter Soldier, uh, with Captain America's origin kind of. It, it, there's a lot of interesting stuff. It, it's basically, it's a very, I don't want to say bright because it implies that there's no dark to it, but it's a very, like it's vivid color palette. The game, like the, every character seems to embody something that's very larger than life. Um, I'm looking at Torbjorn's uh, bio right now. You've got him. He's the crazy weapons designer type. And he's he's out to right you know the wrongs of when Overwatch fell. He's trying to recover like the technology that got stolen, because he he built most of it. He he's the guy who when the Omnic Crisis happened, they came to him and said we need weapons that can take these things out. And he's like yeah I never trusted robots anyway. Sure I'll help you. And so he made all these incredible weapons. And now with Overwatch gone, those weapons are falling into the wrong hands. They're falling into Talon's hands, for instance. Talon being a criminal organization, it's kind of like, it's kind of like Cobra, if you remember GI Joe. Uh, it's very similar. Or Hydra, if you if you watch. I'm Avengers thinking movies. that I'm thinking as I'm thinking about this, right? Because the whole the whole methodology behind Overwatch's downfall. What happened was there were these rumors going around about internal corruption and that kind of thing. How Overwatch was like doing these terrible things and that kind of served to bring them down. But the other half of what brought them down was the fact that uh, Jack Morrison, who was, he wasn't the leader originally. He was the second in command and then he was promoted to leader after the successful prevention of the Omnic crisis that, you know, once that, had been resolved in Overwatch's mm-hmm. favor, in the world's favor. Um, Jack Morrison was promoted. Gabriel Reyes, who was the original, he wasn't really the official commander. He was just the in charge. The field guy. He, he had seniority, basically. And they're like, well, you have seniority, so we're going to you know, kind of put you in pseudo-command. Yeah, he had, he had that kind of pseudo-command thing going. But he, did, he got passed over in favor of Morrison for that promotion to the leadership position. Reyes was also involved with Blackwatch, which we haven't heard a lot about, but I believe that's going to be part of what goes on with the graphic novel that's coming out. Blackwatch yeah. was basically Overwatch's special ops unit, and it had a few different members. Notable members include McCree and, of course, Reyes. He was the leader of Blackwatch. Um, Reyes, they kind of did, did the stuff... Uh, that Overwatch couldn't really do legally or, you know, with much public attention. They went, they, they kind of, they were, they were, 
I mean, they were black for, ops. You know, they were black ops. They weren't really knowledge. Under... They, knowledge of your mission will be disavowed, and you know, if you're caught, so yeah. stop. They were like the specters of the Overwatch. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I wasn't um, sure if I could go there or not, but yeah, that's probably nah, what I was thinking. It's fine. It's free game. We're just we're just flying <laughs> off the cuff here. But Game what Soldier I'm 76, here, a biotic grenade, for God's sake. Right. What I'm saying <laughs> here, though, is that the, there was this feud going on between Reyes and Morrison, and that all kind of exploded in the very literal sense at Overwatch's Swiss headquarters and supposedly killed the both of them. And they have both since returned. Well, Reyes, now working under the moniker Reaper... Um, and as Rossi was saying, he's like living rot. It's really kind of cool. Uh, he's been systematically trying to bring down Overwatch. And it kind of makes me wonder if we're going to go with the whole Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and, and Captain America thing on, on uh, Soldier 76 aside. Can we look then look at Talon and Reyes as like the Hydra? It definitely feels that way to me. Was he initially, like, infiltrating this organization? Was he trying to tear it down in the first place? See, that's the interesting well, thing. Because right now, long. <laughs> that's, yeah, we don't really know much no. about Talon. We just know, for instance, we know Talon was instrumental in Widowmaker's creation. Mm-hmm. And we know that they've been, you know, running around doing evil stuff. It certainly seems likely that Talon is involved in the rumors of corruption that led to the dissolution of Overwatch in the first place. Because it seems like Overwatch's dissolution is ultimately part of a long-range plan. Um, you want to get these guys out of the way. What gets me is, too, is one of the things that's happening, at the same time all this is happening, in Russia, one of the Omniums is reactivated. Yeah, and okay, the, so that's, that's something is... Yeah, uh, we didn't go over before. Russia, they basically stood on their own during the first Omnic crisis. They right. built... Wasn't it they countered robots with bigger robots, essentially, the first they time around? Giant and yeah. If, yeah. You, if you're playing Overwatch right now and you go into Volskaya, you can actually see those mechs. Um, I'm not even going to try and pronounce the name. It is very long, complicated <laughs> Russian, and there's just no way I'm going to wrap my tongue around that. I'm not Fun sure how facts, to do it. One of the mechs in the background will dance if you watch it long enough. Yeah, which is kind of cool. But... Basically, what happened was uh, the UN was going, oh, we need to like work together to get figure out this Omnic crisis thing. And Russia said, nah, we got this ourselves. And they and did. They, they did. They actually, <laughs> they actually ended their own Omnic crisis themselves without Overwatch. And whatever they did, and the mechs played a large part in that, whatever they did to shut it down, apparently it wasn't a permanent solution because there is now a second Omnic crisis looming just in russia it's that russian omnium that is suddenly reactivated and it's the omnic crisis part two um and we should also point out the omnics are not they're not all united in terms of what they want to be doing or how they want to be pursuing their existence even after the crisis um there's an entire order of like monks that want to like for lack of a better word live in peace they're Um, very humanized robots i mean they're there's obviously the like sentry units, but a lot of the Omnics are like Zenyatta. Yeah, Zenyatta is um, a member of that organization. He's a member. Yeah, who's of that who's the one or... that got shot? Mandata. Uh, Mandata, right? Yeah. He was like the the kind of the Nelson Mandela of robots. Yeah. Or the Dalai Lama of robots. I'm not sure. Maybe a little bit of both. Uh, he getting assassinated was a big deal because it basically it helped amp up tensions between them. If you watch the uh, hero trailer, the one that just came out, the soldier 76 trailer, um, one of the things you see is casual violence towards Omnics. 
Mm-hmm. I, I don't know where that trailer is supposed to be taking place. I don't know if it's supposed to be Mexico. That's, or that's Dorado. It's Dorado. Okay. Um, but I know that, you know, casual violence towards Omnics, um, they, they were beating the, they're beating an Omnic with hammers and, and baseball bats. And they even try to get a small girl to participate. So yeah, it's hostility towards Omnics is very high, which is why Bastion's one of my favorite characters. Um, because Bastion is essentially, um, Kane from Kung Fu. If you were a robot, <laughs> even though he's not, he's not a martial arts guy, that's Senyata. But Bastion is like wandering the world, just trying to, you know, live with birds he he reminds me a lot of Wally, to be honest. Yeah, that's, I can that's, see that. That's what I see when I see Bastion. Um, your mileage may vary, but w- Wally, if Wally was like you know really good at killing people. <laughs> yeah, um, exactly. What's but, interesting about Bastion is that Bastion—that's not his individual name. The Bastion oh. units—they were actually an Omnic unit that were created for peacekeeping purposes, mm-hmm. and they weren't intended for warfare. But when that Omnic crisis started up, the Bastion's ability to reconfigure themselves, that was kind of made to create this assault cannon mode, and they were turned into these weapons of war. Anyone who's played the game, even like one match with the Bastion, knows this <laughs> you is, know. knows, you know. knows what this is. You know what's going on. So what happened was, after the Omnic crisis was over with, Overwatch went through, and they basically they dismantled the bastion units they they except, took them down they except took, one they took them all down except for one there was one that we know of there may be more i don't know but one of them survived off by himself and was decommissioned and was just sitting there in a field and then one day it woke up and when it woke up it woke up with that the the peacekeeping programming that that combat programming that they had all been given during the omnic crisis that was gone um it will kick in that combat programming will kick right back in if that bastion unit thinks that it's in danger, but really it's much more interested in just kind of figuring out how to communicate and, and looking at the world and learning about the world and what it is. And I like bastion. I think bastion's great. (laughs) I like him as a character. I hate him in a game. Oh, he's a good character. I, I I don't. I've only got to play Overwatch in the beta, and when I played in the beta, I I was one of the people that Bastion was made to kill. Like I didn't know enough about <laughs> Bastion is made basically. Uh, I think someone described Bastion as a raid boss. I think it was Anne actually who described him as a raid boss. Uh, somebody on my Twitter yeah. feed mentioned yeah. it because I was talking yeah. about Bastion, and they said, "Yeah, Bastion is like the raid boss of of the game. If you can defeat him once, then you've got him on farm, and he's easy. You just have to figure out how to defeat yeah. him." Which, yeah. by the way, um, Hanzo Widowmaker Genji. Thank you. You're welcome. Take that. <laughs> use it. Well, what oh, gets Hanzo. Too is Hanzo. Like, we've got Bastion as like an example of an Omnic who is not not. I don't even know if he talks. Like you know, he doesn't. He doesn't have any way to communicate, really. Then you've got you've got Zenyatta, who is an example of the of the monastic order after the Omnic crisis, and he basically is much more of a thinker. He's he's you know he's consumed was, with the, uh, the basically the omics have the problem of being artificial beings right they're they're machines but they can think and they have like a philosophy so this monastic order has a philosophy about what it means to be what they are it was interesting because this group it was after the omnic crisis and this this group of omnics just kind of like withdrew from society and established this group up in the himalayas called the shambali Mm-hmm. And they were led by Mandata, Tekartha Mandata, who who 
sat down with them and they all kind of sat and contemplated the puzzle of their own existence. And the conclusion that they finally came to after years of thinking about this is that they were more than artificial intelligence and they possess souls like humans does, possess does souls. Have a soul? Yeah. Apparent, according to Mandata, they do. And there's, you know, humanity and Omnix, they should be living hand in hand. They should be working together because in the end, as far as the Shambali are concerned, we're all the same. And Zenyatta was one of the Shambali group. He he didn't quite agree with what was going on, so he left the order. And it was mostly because Mandata and the rest of the Shambali, they were kind of, they became very, very popular. Yeah, millions of people around the world were like, yeah, yeah this is great. If, if, if you watch uh, the Tracer Widowmaker short alive, like, that's that's the leader that like is showing up it is a very important and, moment yeah it, but like you see him and he is you know walking out of a car like hollywood style or like i mean diplomat style but still like there are a lot of people there to just to see him to hear yeah because that whole that whole message of spiritual equality it was kind of like embraced and these omnics became global celebrities kind of and zenyatta didn't quite agree with the idea of being some kind of celebrity he just wanted to he just want peace spread that word you know through deeds and through actions so he he left to go kind of pursue his own path whereas mandata was still just trying to spread the word in alive what we witnessed in alive was the assassination of takartha mandata which was basically a nail in the coffin of that whole omnic movement and that's that's another one of those things in overwatch that's kind of i know you know we talk about how it likes it's like this hopeful optimistic world but the thing is is that the world always needs heroes right and mm-hmm. there has to be a reason for it to need heroes so everything is not perfect and after that omnic crisis happened humanity started looking at these omnics with really wary suspicious eyes because you know if you're gonna rise up and rebel against your against humanity once who's to say you aren't going to do it again if you're a creature of programming who's to say nobody's going to hack that system and turn all of you against all of us you know so there's a lot of suspicion going on there and that's where that whole i know rossi you had mentioned in the soldier 76 short they were they were beating the heck out of an omnic yeah, they're just, they're just trashing them. They had a baseball bat wrapped in metal plates, and they were wailing on this poor thing. Yeah. Also, there's, yeah. if you watch the, the, the Hanzo Genji short, mm-hmm. there seems to be a certain amount of revulsion towards cybernetic enhancement. Oh, yeah, because you know you get to a certain point, and it's like, are you still human, or are you an omnic? What are you? Yeah, is it even you anymore? There's a point in that short where we don't get to see what it is, but Genji removes his helmet. And you see his eyes, and that's all you can uh, see. I know. Oh, I was waiting. That, that was moment. my favorite short. <laughs> oh, I think that was a lot of people's. I mean, I I love that one. Like that one. Was Dragons just... is ve- Dragons is very very good. It's probably the best in pure quality. But I like Heroes better, and I'll explain why if we get a chance to talk about it. No, yeah, yeah. please talk about it. Go. Right, I want to hear it. First off, Heroes gives you a, a a good slice of daily life for people, not just. Every, you know, not it doesn't just show you like Hanzo and Genji being like super badasses. It shows you what it's like to be a child growing up in the world post Omnic Crisis. It's you not this, a happy world necessarily. No, like she she goes to just she's supposed to be going to the store and she doesn't even get five feet before there's like a robot getting beat up and her money gets stolen by people she knows. 
These are people she knows and they steal from her. Uh, and then you get to see, you get to see Solar 76 in action, which is cool. But what I like is that despite the fact that he is supposed to be the hard bitten, grim, um, you know, on a mission character, he can't stop himself from jumping in and saving. <laughs> he, he, he actually he, growls at himself, essentially. Yeah. He's upset with himself for, for reverting back, but he does revert back. And that's the kind of thing I liked about that short. I liked that it showed, it showed you why he isn't just like when he first came out, I remember Alex was talking about him and Alex said, you know, oh, great. Yet another gun guy, but he isn't, he isn't just a gun guy. He's incredibly tired. Like, and you got that sense of he's tired and he's frustrated and that's where it's coming from. It isn't just, I'm the crime is the disease and I'm the cure. It's why won't the world stay fixed? Did I not tell you that you can't do this anymore? Did we not show you that you can't do this anymore? Uh, now, apparently I'm just going to have to beat up the entire gang right here on the street because <laughs> you just won't listen. And I liked, I liked that. I liked how he still saves the girl, how he, he didn't just save her. He gives her back her money thing, which means he paid attention. The awesome Murloc coin purse. Yes, which I need one of. Please. But the, the fact is, he he always intended to give it back to her. You know what I mean? He'd already yeah, got he, he, he had he, it because they had already left. The bad guys had left yeah. by the time he, he he'd he already got the it, grenade or whatever into he, the grenade. He'd gotten it for her already. He was going to go back and give it to her, even though it has nothing to do with his mission. Yeah. You know, because Soldier Seventy Six is on this big mission to reveal the truth behind why Overwatch fell. That's his whole motivation, and to see that you know he can't stop. You know, I, I just would love to see a short with him and Tracer because I know she'd drive him crazy. <laughs> she would absolutely. drive him absolutely at the wall. But cause, cause, because she'd be like, let's go do this heroic thing. And he'd be like, would be like right. sticking Anne and Alex in a room for a couple hours. Actually, Alex and I get along very well. Yeah, they do. Weirdly. While forcing you to talk about something you don't like. Oh, well, no, that's actually fun, too. Well, it's fun You're for ruining me. It's not so joke. much fun for Alex. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, it's it, I really did like it. I think Dragons is Dragons is really it's visually amazing. Like it's oh it's, it's fun to watch. I think Alive might be the most important of them. Yeah, like, Alive uh, Alive is my second favorite. Um and I just uh, I don't know if there are any files in the game or anything, but I think I feel like they've hinted at like some history between Widowmaker and Tracer like I don't know exactly, but the way Tracer just says, like, why are you doing this? I just, I don't know. That was my favorite moment in that one. Well, Widowmaker, I don't know if Widowmaker originally worked for Overwatch. Her husband did, yeah. uh, Gerard LaCroix. And he was the one who was basically spearheading the hunt for talent and trying to track them down and trying to break them up. They'd already, you know, they Overwatch was pretty good at, busting up these groups they had already done so with the shamata clan um after hanzo tried to kill genji and nearly succeeded they rescued genji and said we will rebuild your body and we will keep you alive if you help us take the shamata clan down and of course genji's like yeah i'll help you out they just <laughs> straight up tried to kill me so hey what have i got to lose you know so he went ahead and helped them out Talon, however, was always a thorn in their sides, and they were never able to quite successfully drag them down. Gerard was very good at what he did, but he couldn't quite get there. And his wife, um, Amale, she was... It, it was never revealed whether or not she was working for Overwatch or not, but basically Talon kidnapped her. They kidnapped her, and they programmed her 
to be a sleeper agent. And then Overwatch conveniently rescued her and brought her home. And she seemed to be okay until one night she murdered Gerard while he was sleeping. At least we think that's what happened. Flat out murdered him while he was sleeping. (laughs) And then returned to Talon, at which point Talon said, "Mm, good job, let's go ahead and make you even better. So so here's a tinfoil hat, I guess. Mm -hmm. If we're going to talk about your theory that he's still alive, I'm going to kill you. No, not that theory. The theory, like... that's my that's a theory I'm playing with. The theory that Talon, you know, what Reaper's involvement with Talon was before he was Reaper. Now, when like when she got back to Overwatch, they like ran scans on her neurological signs and said, you know, she's totally fine. Did they mess up and miss something or was it sabotaged by Reaper, you think? That's a good question. See, that's Honestly, the thing about that's the thing about Rhea is is because we don't have a lot of background on Reyes and what went on, like the beef between Morrison and Reyes. We just have like a lot of hearsay at this point. The graphic novel supposedly is going to shed some light on that whole situation, but whether or not it's actually going to reveal all of these details, we don't know yet. There's a lot, there's a lot of Overwatch's story and I know we're kind of bouncing all over the place as far as the story goes, but there's a lot of pieces to this story and those Mm -hmm. pieces haven't quite been put together yet. And there's deliberate holes here, there and everywhere. And it's because it's new. It's all brand new. There is no established continuity. There's no established timeline. There's no established. It's all stuff that they're still hammering out as the game is being developed. We have all of this and it came out today. Yeah. What gets me to, isn't that great? I I love it. It's awesome. I honestly think one of the things to think about in terms of Talon is um, it may not actually be a case with Talon as an organization that was sprung up to fight Overwatch. We were talking about the Black Watch before. What happens if the Black Watch is Talon? Well, that's the fun part, right? Because in the McCree comic that came out, we're going to go back there. Uh, the McCree comic that came out, it's called The Train Job, and you can read that for free on Blizzard's website. Uh McCree is, he's basically hijacking a ride on a train, just going somewhere. We don't know where. By this time, he's he has already left Overwatch. McCree was a member of Blackwatch, and he saw the infighting and everything else and said, yeah, I'm out. And he left. And he's kind of a mercenary at this point. He's just a gun for hire. But what he inadvertently discovered while he was on this train ride was that the train was being hijacked by Blackwatch agents, or not Blackwatch agents, Talon agents. They, they, they had the Talon uniforms on. And as he's looking at them, he goes, they're fighting with Blackwatch's playbook. I recognize that. And Which, at the end of the comic, it doesn't end very satisfactorily, right? There's something, <laughs> there's something that Talon is after. And we never figure out what that thing is because McCree finds it in the train and he just tosses it off the train for them to get. And I think that the reasons for that are twofold. Number one, he's not getting paid for this, so he can't be bothered. He just wants to finish his train ride in peace. Number two, and more importantly, he recognizes that fighting style. And he knows that if these guys know Blackwatch fighting tactics, this is not a crew that you want to mess with. Just give them what they want, because there's only one of him, and there's how many of them? Yeah. So, give so them the what question, they want so everybody can get out safe. Call the question it. then... Is is Reaper leading Talon? Was he leading Talon before? Is he just teaching Talon Blackwatch operations? That part, was Talon that part of Overwatch that was kind of rebelling against Morrison? 
did it spring from that? And I don't it's, think it did because LaCroix was still fighting Talon as he was yeah. while Overwatch so, was a thing. But one has to wonder how it, much of this, how much, how much of these stories of internal corruption are actually, they, they're true. Yeah. And it, it could be that, you know, Talon was a small group and then it, it's sort of internally Blackwatch started working with Talon or like they kind of joined forces or if certain members of the Black Watch were playing yeah, both sides. Exactly. But one of the things, I mean, we haven't even mentioned Roadhog and Junkrat yet. And okay, Ro- so to get into Roadhog and Junkrat, we have to talk about like the Omnic Crisis, the end of the Omnic yeah. Crisis, and what that said for the rest of the world, because their story really reflects that. Anyway, yeah. go ahead, Rossi. Well, Roadhog and Jun- Junkrat fought during the Omnic Crisis. They were defending Australia, which is where they're from. Um, and what's interesting, too, is that they essentially like won. I mean, they they beat the Omnics. Australia successfully defeated them. They beat them and, back, and they and kept then, their land. And gave them everything that the, the the Omnium in Australia, all the surrounding area. They just gave it back to the Omnics after they beat them. The Australian government, after the resolution of the Omnic crisis, said, "Okay, we need to make nice nice with these robots. So why don't we just give them their home base back as kind of like." a tentative peace offering and we'll give them all that land that's around the Omnium too, because it's not like anybody important is living there or anything. Yeah. And the problem was that they basically displaced the, the people who'd been living there, which is the people who had spent the last how many years fighting to keep that land only yeah. to have the government just hand it off. And they basically yeah. lost, I mean, the, the, this is not a part of Australia that was particularly wanted by anyone. Like, I mean, they describe like it the here as, lands, you know, describe it here as um a large number of the outlands of the outbacks residents a scattered collection of survivalists solar farmers and people who just wanted to be left alone so it's you know it's they were eking out a meager living off the land so i mean and if you're australian so i'm was, sure you're like you're about mostly uninhabited but still slightly inhabited. and i find this fascinating because it's like on the one hand it's a proactive government move to try and make peace with the omnics on the other hand, they had to go and screw somebody over in the, con- in the you know, at the same time. And it it's was, like, and they screwed over the people that were fighting the hardest. So that was a mistake because those people had just spent several years learning how to fight methodical, <laughs> ruthless, emotionless robot enemies. And now they wanted to fight the Australian government, which they did. They started irradiating the area. They actually nuked an area. Um, they sabotaged the Omnian's fusion core. They, so... They went into the Omnium and they basically turned it into a nuclear bomb and set it off. So, yeah, um, yeah. that didn't destroyed that didn't the Omnium. Yeah, and blew it sky high, littering, you know, miles around. There's twisted wreckage, just kind of like raining from the sky, and the whole place is irradiated. Yeah, and that's when Roadhog basically comes to be. Before that, he still had a chance to be a somewhat sane individual, but watching everything he'd ever fought for turn into an atomic wasteland, yeah, that, he's... And it wasn't just the fact that it had turned into an atomic wasteland. It was the fact that he had spent all of this time fighting so hard for this tiny, insignificant existence out there in the middle of nowhere. And he fought... To hang on to it. And he fought harder than probably anyone else out there to hang on to it. And just when he thought he had it, 
Did he lose it to the Omnics? No, he lost it because the government said, yeah, you don't matter. We're just going to take your land and give it to these guys that you've been fighting. So it puts him in this kind of like almost a sympathetic position. Yeah, no wonder he went say, a little nuts. You know, these two characters like at first you're like, oh, wow, those are, you know, creepy Robert. Maniacs. Yeah, maniacs. Exactly. Yeah. You think um, that they're comic relief, but when you really look at their story, it's kind of sad. Yeah. And like, you know, Junkrat, um, someone I think was pointing this out in the queue. He's like, you know, one of the first like major, at least Blizzard characters that has like, you know, he actually is missing a leg. He has a disability because of that explosion, correct? Yes. Yeah. Like it took off his, he lost his leg and now it, he's like scrapped together with parts because he had to be a Junkrat and fix himself. Mm-hmm. And he's, I mean, he, how old is he? Like, he's not that old, right? I no, you didn't, Mark. I, I don't remember how old he is. I do know that he was one of not very many survivors that survived that explosion. Yeah. And, yeah, he lost his leg, um, presumably from that explosion. But what happened was th- that group of survivors, they went a little crazy between the radiation and between witnessing that land that they had spent all that time fighting for, nobody can use it now. Doesn't matter. Also, there's um, supposedly apparently some kind of secret in the Omnium that they discovered. Right. But what that, they yeah, ended up what they out. ended up doing was the this group of survivors. They kind of banded together and called themselves the Junkers. And all they do is scavenge. They scavenge the land for parts and they sell those parts for money. That's how they make their living now, because that's all they can do now. Because they lost everything. Yeah. And yeah, he he was... Junkrat wasn't really... I mean, he was really skilled with explosives, but that was that was like the only notable trait about the guy. We don't really know much about who he was before he became a Junker. Um, he discovered something in the Omnium. And whatever it was, his fellow Junkers, along with a lot of very highly influential people, all wanted their hands on it. Um and he became the target of bounty hunters, gangs, mercenaries. Everybody was looking to get what he had found, what he'd accidentally stumbled on. Um, so he met up with Roadhog and said, hey, we'll do a 50-50 split if you can keep me alive. <laughs> yeah. And Roadhog said, And then they formed sure. the best friends ever. And then they became the best friends ever. And they're kind of like the Timon and Pumbaa of Overwatch. <laughs> <laughs> they, they kind of are. Uh, so... They're, I mean, unless you start feeling really sympathetic for them, they still kind of fall in that bad guy Oh, they're category. maniacs. They are. Yeah, they, 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 they fall in the bad guy category of the game. But are so, they actually part of Talon or Overwatch or no, anything like that? No, they're just, no. okay. But there's no indication that they might that be working with Talon? were caught in the crossfire. That's all. They're basically like, they're sympathetic to a point, but when they blow up an entire street, you know, to... Well, you know, yeah. You know, it, it becomes hard to sympathize with them too much and there's lots of shades of gray in the game i mean like there's symmetra and the corporation she works for yeah i was just wondering like if maybe the thing that they found is something that talon would be after it's probably something everybody's after uh it might even explain what the omnic crisis was why did it happen because that's something we don't know to unraveling what caused the omnic crisis to begin with yeah and how did overwatch stop it i mean overwatch stopped it but how did they stop it we don't know they stopped it temporarily that's how but um, there's, I mean, there's characters like Zarya who Zarya doesn't really, you don't really have to talk much about her, but she's cool, and yeah. I like the idea that she was basically going to be this like 
athletic hero and then the the second omnic crisis started up and she's like nope going back to fight so that's what her holy whole deal is she grew up she was born and raised and grew up in the fallout from that initial omnic crisis so the place that she grew up in in russia was kind of a wasteland of sorts and it was you know uh she grew up with the example of what the Omnic Crisis could do around her constantly. And she kind of like vowed that she was going to be strong. And she was. And she still mm-hmm. is. <laughs> but yeah, when push came to shove and the second Omnic Crisis started rising up, her immediate thought was, we can't have that happen again. I've already seen what it does once. So she noped out of the tournament that she had signed up for and went to go fight. Um, and that's her story. It's, it's, you know, she's got like a small story in terms of the rest of this. But what's interesting is that Russia did manage to defeat the Omnic Crisis once completely on their own. They didn't need Overwatch to do it. So was Overwatch really necessary? Yes and no, I guess. I don't know. Well, um, here we are, you know, we'll <laughs> notice that they, the Russians, however they beat it, didn't beat it very permanently. <laughs> they didn't beat it in a permanent kind of way. But yeah, the thing about Overwatch, and they, they discussed this, uh, the event that they had yesterday, they showed all of the cinematics, yes, and then they also showed a really lengthy panel on the lore and the story development of Overwatch. And one of the things that they talked about was they talked about the fact that there aren't really any clear-cut black-and-white heroes and villains in the game. It's all kind of nebulous, and they kind of leave it up in the air and nebulous. Someone like Reaper, yeah, you know Reaper is a bad guy because he seems to be a bad guy. But what were his origins and what took him there? You don't know what that is. But there are other characters. And they mentioned Symmetra specifically. And I find Symmetra really interesting because a lot of people, they mentioned this in the panel too, a lot of people don't associate Symmetra with a villain. Like they don't look at her and say, oh, that's a villain character because it's not clear cut. And she's not clear-cut, although she would like to be. She would like the whole world to be very organized <laughs> and efficient. And that's why she works with the Vishkar Corporation. Um, they took her in when she was a kid because she was really gifted. And they taught her how to work with hard light technology. And it's kind of interesting because the Vishkar Corporation, their whole interest is supposedly in rebuilding the world using this technology to rebuild the world. But what we have quickly discovered, and you can see evidence of this in the Symmetra comic, is that um, there are certain parts of the world that they just really don't care about so much as others. They're going to save humanity. Yeah, but only certain parts (laughs) of humanity, the good ones, or what they deem good. You know, there's a process. And yeah, Symmetra herself is very much... She's She's part of that focused on this idea of order and organization and it doesn't necessarily jive with what the world really is. And they mentioned that they've kind of like pitted Symmetra and Lucio against each other because Lucio is very much interesting. He, he got his, he's the people's person. He got his tech from one of their factories, right? Yeah. What's really interesting too, is that both they're also thematically opposites and that her powers are based on hard light technology and his is all sound. Yeah. So they set them up as like, you know, thematic opposites, not opposites because light and sound aren't opposites, but you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Different, different kinds of waves. And I'd kind of speculated that perhaps the two met or at least encountered each other in Rio de Janeiro um, in the Know Your Lore that I wrote. And then the Symmetra comic came out after that. And it did verify that, yeah, Symmetra was there. She was there during that whole event. Lucio didn't make an appearance in her comic, but 
you saw what was going on and you understood where Lucio was coming from just by association. It was like, oh, he was one of those guys, the ones that like got completely stomped on. And Symmetra does have like a few moments where she's thinking about, you know, is this method of order really the best way? Is what the Vishkar Corporation, is that the best way to go about things? And she's not quite sure, but she's still doing what they want anyway. Because mm-hmm. yeah. she doesn't been convinced it's not the right yet. Right. So it's, you so you don't know, really. Is she going to be a hero? Is she going to be a villain? Or is she just going to kind of ride the line in between? <laughs> but, you know? Back to the, the black and gray, since you guys reminded me. Yeah. Mercy's another really interesting one. She's, Ooh, yeah. she's not She's not, like, as openly gray as, like, the Symmetra story. But her dialogue with Reaper is super interesting. Because it kind of... There's the implication that, you know, after Reyes died in the explosion, she maybe had a part in bringing him back. And that's why he's this, like, walking decay. I talked um, about this in the last Know Your Lore that I did. And that dialogue, for the record, um, when she's talking to Reaper, she says, what happened to you? And he just says, you tell me, Doc. And then later on, she says, this is not what I intended for you, Reyes. And he says, you knew exactly what you were doing. Which, like, Reyes... What? <laughs> right, like, Reyes and Morrison, maybe they both died. Maybe Morrison didn't actually die. But it sounds like Reyes, to me, Reyes had it worse. And Mercy had to do some kind of crazy stuff to bring him back. But she was okay with it. Cause... Well, I mean, you already know that she's willing to, to go further than most doctors. Because she's the one that fixed Genji up. Yeah. She rebuilt yeah. him from yeah. scratch. And, and what what she did to Genji... Is most people would be like, oh, that's that's getting kind of omnic, isn't well, you it? You saw Hanzo's reaction to it. He yeah. was like, "What yeah. happened to you?" Um, the interesting part about Mercy is that she was recruited. She was recruited like after the omnic crisis was over with, and it she was she was like this brilliant, brilliant medical person who had worked her way up to like the head of surgery at this prominent hospital in Switzerland, right? Mm -hmm. And what she did was she pioneered a breakthrough in the field of applied nanobiology. So basically little bits that go and fix things, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm wondering, because we knew going in that Gabriel Reyes, the, the common link between Gabriel Reyes and Jack Morrison is that they were both part of a super soldier program. In the U.S. Yeah, and the it's enhanced, still enhanced program. Yeah. yeah, it's an it's an enhanced soldier program. It it's still hush hush what happened to them, and nobody really knows what the full effects of that were or anything like that. Um, it was just it was part of a program that they were in, and there were some kind of genetic enhancement type things going on, but it was all classified and it's still classified. Nobody knows exactly what that was. I'm wondering if she worked on the two of them. I'm wondering if she did something to the two of them at some point during their career. Obviously, she had to have done something to Reaper. Yeah. And I, did and she what do I'm, it well, before or after his like alleged death? They right. describe one of one of the things they describe in the Reaper thing is they talk about his victims look pale, drained, and like their cells are disrupting. Right. And they make they say a thing about how it seems like his cells are regenerating and disrupting constantly. Yeah. It seems to me like since she's an expert in nanobiology that she could be behind that. Right. Like basically I, I think she is. 
And the reason I think that what I think she might have done is she might have tried something that was supposed to just regenerate him. And instead, he needs to basically do that to people to regenerate himself. Yes, uh, and you know like saying part, part of, you know, in game when he kills someone, there's like fragments of their I don't know if it's soul fragments or something, but like he he takes health from his enemies, too. So it's something that's possibly represented in the actual gameplay too i think that it's possible he, what he's got is effectively a nano cloud that is rebuilding his body constantly but and that's he needs what that to, black cloud is that's following yeah. him around and he needs to use it on people to get raw materials for lack of a better word he needs to replace his destroyed cells which is right. so creepy yeah <laughs> and it's just so like, cool look at that like and think about what's the deal with morris in that what is Morrison's augmentation? What is – you know he has that visor that allows him to aim preternaturally and, and well. And that's, that's not something he had when he was Morrison. That's no, a Soldier no. 76 thing. So my question is, like, he was obviously he take, augmented he, before when he was dude, in Overwatch. Dude can take a grenade. After? He can take a grenade straight up. Yeah. Like he didn't and he didn't jump on the grenade. He jumped past the grenade and grabbed the little girl knowing and that shielded she would her. be hurt. Yeah. Yeah. He knew that would work. But I, I'm so, wondering what augmentations, if any, were made. Like, my theory is that Reaper was definitely, or Reyes was augmented in some way after his death. And that's how he became Reaper. But I'm wondering in what way, if Mercy did something to Morrison as well, to bring him back to life, or if he just didn't die and these are his original did augmentations. Did she bring them back to life is the thing. Because when you look at it, Mercy was one of the people that was brought in during that whole the the whole trial thing when Overwatch itself was going under trial and she didn't like and she, she didn't went, like Overwatch totally. Yeah. She she went on the record as saying that there was conflict between Morrison and Reyes and that she didn't approve of it. But that there was intern there was definitely internal conflict going on. So I mean, she she didn't like it. She didn't like the fact that they were fighting. So what I'm wondering is did she take these guys and go, oh, you were part of an a soldier enhancement program? Let me poke around your insides and see what they did to you. And let's see how we can make that better. Did that? Did she do that? Did that backfire when they died, oh. air quotes, and make them into what they are? Or did she find them after they died, air quotes, and rebuild them, much like she rebuilt Genji? Was that her trying to play God after I, they died? I, I'm leaning towards something? that one because... Was her... it the fallout of something that she did when she was playing God before they fell apart? I, what was it? <laughs> I don't know, but like her whole thing, her ultimate, is that she resurrects heroes. Yeah. Was Anna was saying, you know, her line is, heroes never die. And then she says, like, kind of quietly, for a price. No, she only does that if she's got the imp skin on. Oh, yeah, okay. It's skin. only with the it, it's player. it's part of the it's it's flavor for the imp skin. That's not that's not lore. Oh, okay. Yeah. Then, what gets me to is that Mercy is using the suit Mercy is using. Um, the, the power suit. armor. Yeah. It's similar to the one Farah is using. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Farah's suit is a much more aggressive combat-oriented suit, whereas Mercy's is a healer-oriented suit, which suits her because that's what she does is monkey around with nanobiology. Yeah, and she and, actually developed that suit. It's a Valkyrie Swift Response yeah. suit, and she. She developed that specifically so that you could get doctors to the front lines to respond to people faster. Um, so I find myself wondering how much of that will come up in terms of what is the secret of the, the base that Farah is responsible for. Because we we're only told we're only told that Farah is responsible for a base that is so important that it isn't just the region, but it's the whole world. 
security is in play is 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 involved in this place. So. I'm just I I I'm dying to know what's up with Mercy. She has not gotten a story told yet, nope. and I'm hoping that she comes out with the next batch of cinematics that they do because they did say after they after they released the Soldier 76 short, they said that it was the last of the four shorts for this season, which hmm. implies that they're doing more. So well, they if they are be. going to do more, what I want to know is if they're going to do more of these, whose stories do you guys want to see told? Ooh. Um, I'm kind of going to say Farah, most because I want to know what the deal is with that secret location that she's guarding. <laughs> um, and Farah is interesting because she never was in Overwatch. She was supposed to be in Overwatch and then Overwatch collapsed. So her mom ne- was in Overwatch. Her, yeah, in her all mom the was. promo images, when you see somebody that looks like Farah, that's not Farah. That's Farah's mom. So I, you get the family legacy. You've got the connection where she was supposed to get to join and she didn't. And you've got the, you know, jumped up suit of armor she wears. And then you've got the secret, like, you know, the secret base in Egypt that she's the security head for and how it's affecting the whole world security. There's a lot there you could do with Farah. So I'm going to say Farah. I... I definitely mercy. Uh, I want more on Reaper Reyes. Like, I want more on Talon. I guess he's been he, both he and Talon have kind of been the accessories in everybody else's stories. Ex- exactly. And I they want haven't gotten their own dedicated material yet. Is that what you're looking for? Yeah, I'm looking for his own dedicated. Okay. Um, personally, Mercy, yes, absolutely. I kind of want to see more about her. Um, Reinhardt. We got the Reinhardt comic that kind of explained what he was doing, but we didn't really get much on Reinhardt in particular, like while he was with Overwatch. And honestly, I want to see those moments like where Overwatch was falling apart. I want to see that whole what was it that led to Overwatch's downfall? What, and maybe what was that, the explosion. Right. Right. That whole that final encounter between Morrison and Reyes where they were fighting what happened there and then i want to see more hanzo and genji stuff just because it was really <laughs> really cool <laughs> yeah I, the content you know God, i i'm if so you're gonna bring in the mercy story the if you're gonna bring in a mercy story bring in the mercy story where she rebuilds genji i want to see that moment that would be interesting i would like to see that his origin yeah yeah, I was I was talking with someone, um, and he mentioned wanting to see Hanzo take up the sword again because he put the sword down. <sighs> Anything and, with Hanzo is good, as far as I'm concerned. To see a Hanzo and Genji sword fight, only if Genji gets to shoot him with a bow. <laughs> Genji can do whatever he wants. But yeah, if we're going like for you know absolute fantasies, quite frankly, I would like to see Soldier Seventy Six, like an actual. What? Why does he think he's doing? What is he actually going out? He was a member of the American Sol- Soldier Enhancement Program. What does that mean? What are his physical capacities exceeding those of an unconventional soldier? Has he been amplified up since, or is it all tech? He's got yeah, quote unquote that, a cutting edge arsenal, which he stole from Overwatch facilities, like the Black Mesa but, base. But that that arsenal isn't going to protect him from a flat out grenade blast to the back. No, oh. but like what his, did that? his his visor thing. Like, is his visor built into him, or is it just tech that he got after he came back from death? Well, or whatever he's got call. a really big scar on his face. I don't think he died. I'll straight up say this, and I think it would be I think it would be interesting. At some point, we're going to find out what really happened. Uh, my money is on neither Reaper, neither Reyes, nor Morrison were responsible for that explosion. I I'm going to guess fact, that they weren't responsible, no, but it, that Reyes did die. 
No, Ramirez probably did die. But here's the thing: I honestly think Reyes has been set up to become Reaper. You think? And I th- oh yeah, I think there's going to turn out to be like a whole much more complicated thing going on with Talon and what they're all about and the Omnic crisis and what really started it. And I think we're just barely beginning to see like, and I, I'm not saying Reyes isn't a bad guy now and, or that he wasn't an asshole, you know, sorry. Uh, <laughs> he wasn't a jerk then, but I think I definitely feel like the setup is bigger and more elaborate than we're getting. And the reason I think that is because something reactivated the Russian Omnium, something mm-hmm. turned it back on. What did that? What started the crisis in the first place? And what could reactivate the... I mean, you're going to tell me the Russians didn't do everything in their power to make sure that thing would never come back on? After I mean, they, they, they were, them? like, boastful about it. Like, look, yeah. we didn't need you guys. We did it ourselves. We didn't need the rest of the world. They, we're, they, they wouldn't... we're Gilneas. <laughs> yeah. Polished. Oh, God. Suddenly the Russians are all werewolves. Um, no, <laughs> I, I really do think... I mean, I feel like there's more going on, and I think that the Omnic Crisis and Talon and all of it is kind of a set piece... Like, Overwatch was a panic response to a huge crisis, but who would benefit from the Omnic crisis in the first place if not the Omnics? Like, what if this was the exact outcome they wanted? I I definitely think we're going to see a lot more. Yeah, and we kind of need to wrap it up here because I think we actually went overtime, but it doesn't matter. Overtime. Anyway. um, (laughs) Overtime. So what we can gather from this is that Overwatch's story is potentially huge and i've said this before already but there are a lot of blank spaces and there are a lot of areas that still have not been filled in and that's it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out now that the game is out and launched as of today it's going to be interesting to see where they take the story from here are they going to keep filling in origin stories or are they going to carry that story forward and are they going to continue doing that kind of independent of the game and let the game exist as its own thing i loved how they talked in the panel they talked about how a lot of the areas that eventually became maps and things like that were stuff that the story team had talked about as settings for whatever story they were working on. And then the game people looked at that and said, yeah, let's use that. Or the game people said, I have an idea for an area. And they said, oh, we got an idea for a story. They'll, you know, they work together. They're very organic. They work hand in hand with each other instead of the game being first, being established, being this big thing, and you having to kind of construct the story around it. There, I I can't wait to see like some... I want to see what they do from here. I'm really interested. Yeah, I want well like one of the things you've mentioned at least in your post and even here I think is that it's great that they don't have, have to work together. Yeah. Um but I'm really excited to see the examples of when they do. Like if we get, you know, say we get something that's not an origin story, maybe not soon, but eventually we get something, you know, that adds more to a character or like, you know, is a cinematic short where someone's in like a firefight or something, a, a skin added to the game that reflects that or a new map to reflect, you know, a new location of a short, something like that. I'm really looking forward to just we're the probably going to see more of that. If they add if they decide to add more heroes and more other stuff, that's that's the way we're going to see it. It's going to anyone... be like an organic kind of thing. Is there any organic explanation for why Soldier 76 has an evil Knievel outfit? No, it just looks cool. Okay. Well, he yeah. thinks it looks cool. <laughs> Look, he's, he's, he's elderly. Met, you have met, to give he's him... Metzen's, Metzen's 90s baby. You have to give I, him a pass on some things. He's, he's I just like to up imagine, there in years. I like to imagine that that's what he wore when he was the ori- original Overwatch. When they were first fighting the... That's what he went out there. <laughs> he crawled out of the wreckage... 
took a good look at the world, decided he needed to tackle it again, and he pulled out that old jacket from way back when. He slid it on his shoulder. <laughs> from 19, the from 1976. Said, he, he pulled it on, and he looked in the mirror, and he's like, yeah, that still looks good. <laughs> Regardless yeah, of whether the rest on. of the world thinks so or not, he thinks it's still cool, so it's still cool. <laughs> yeah, All right, well, we're going to go ahead and wrap it up. Blizzard Watch is made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com slash blizzardwatch, and your continued support means that this podcast site and community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast, a better chance at having your question answered on our podcast or the queue, and an ads-free site experience. If you have the question for Lorewatch, you can go ahead and email us at podcast at blizzardwatch.com. Just put Lorewatch in the tagline, and we'll know that it's for this show and not one of the other shows that we also cover. Um, we're fair game for Overwatch questions. If we've got an answer, we'll give it to you. So feel free to throw those our way because we might even do you know more Overwatch shows at this point. However, awesome. with the Warcraft movie just over the horizon... Expect to hear about that probably <laughs> real soon. <laughs> real, real soon. So like as soon as we happening. can get into the theater and look at it soon. Um, I'm not sure what we'll talk about next time. We'll kind of banter back and forth between Joe and Rossi and myself and figure it out. But yeah, if you've got any Overwatch questions about the story or the lore or anything else that's going on with it, shoot those our direction and maybe we'll just do that the next show. Who knows? Depends on what we get. Thanks for listening, guys. And yeah, Rossi, any last words? Uh, yeah, but way too many, actually. I was just going to say, we didn't talk much about Tracer. I know. Or I'm actually Winston. kind of amazed. There's a lot yes. of them that we didn't talk about. But yeah. but Tracer and Winston are kind of big. Like you, you almost, they are. They're almost obligatory. Yeah. I'm proud of us that we didn't, actually. <laughs> <laughs> There's so much to talk about. We can't possibly cover it all in an hour. Uh, Mitch, you got any last words? Thank you for filling in today. Yeah, but... uh, one... Thanks for having me on here. It was really fun. Uh, two, it's high noon. Okay, that was terrible, but that's all right. We're going to wrap <laughs> up the show. That's a good note to end on, then. Thanks for listening, everyone. We will see you in two weeks. Bye.